Homeschool might be the way because I know some kids. Uh, they're four and five years old. My buddy asked them to, to come out and watch his kids play soccer. I got out there three minutes late, walk out of the soccer field. I'm like, hey, what's the score? My buddy goes, uh, we don't keep score here. Mm-mm. All these kids are winners. You do that here in St. Louis? I was like, all these kids are winners. That kid's got his jersey on inside out and he's chasing a butterfly. That kid's not a winner. What? <laughs> it's just not even made up. They've outlawed the use of red pen in the school district because they red is too aggressive of a color for kids. For real, they're going to see the color red and be reminded of their failures. When they get older, they're going to see red and be insecure. I don't even have a joke for them. I'm just reporting the news. What? Like, here's the grading system for all of us coming through school. A, B, C, D, F. Like, we skipped a letter to make sure kids knew they were failures. <laughs> you can't give a kid an E for more effort? No. F. Failure. Like, one time in high school, I got an F with an exclamation point on it. Just... <laughs> Kids need to learn to succeed and fail. Right, everybody? Yeah. Kids need to learn. Anybody seen a trampoline in 2014? You seen a new trampoline? My buddy's got one. It's got like 360-degree netting around the whole thing, you know? Padding on everything metal. There's like an escalator to get up onto that thing. (laughs) We don't want any kids getting hurt on the trampoline. Like, I'm pretty sure when I was growing up, you would get tetanus just climbing onto the trampoline. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's no trampolines, there's no bike ramps, there's no diving boards, and you wonder why you got grown men walking around in skinny jeans. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, me, John Chris. Some of you, that, that's one of his older videos, but uh, he looks pretty young in that video, but... Uh, you know, that's funny. I understand that uh, some of what John Chris was saying in that video is a little bit overboard. Sometimes uh, older people act like everything was all better in the good old days. But there are some things in the good old days that needed to change. There, you know, it's probably not a good idea for little kids to sit in their dad's lap from New York to Florida without a seatbelt. Amen. So there are some health and safety things that that probably kind of needed to happen. But I think what he's pointing out there in a comical way is that there are some ways that we might have taken those things overboard. And that if we're not careful, today we could be in danger of making things too soft or way too easy on our kids. But as parents, as adults... As trainers of these kids, listen to me, it is not our role to make things easy for our kids. It is our role to prepare them for the life that God has for them to live in this world. In fact, in this series, we're starting with a basic premise. The purpose of parenting is to raise children, to bring up children, to train children to be mature responsible adults who love God and who fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. And so each week what we've done is we've said, okay, there's some scriptures where God talks about specifically raising children and what it means to be a godly 
healthy parent trainer. And we're looking at those scriptures, we're drawing out some principles, and then what we're doing after that is we're taking some specific application out of those principles so that we can understand how do I actually train and raise these kids to love God. So what we're talking about this weekend is training our kids, part three of kind of the middle, the kind of the core, the meat of this series. The first message was about how important children are to God. Do you remember that message? Children, in God's Word, seem to have a very special place in God's heart. They, they seem to have a special relationship with God. Something going on between them and God that we need to affirm, we need to recognize. And actually, in many ways, as adults, as, as older young people, we need to learn from them. Amen? We need to learn from their childlike faith. The last message next weekend is going to focus on, okay, how do we as a family, as a church family, how do we, what is our role in that process? But really the middle three messages are about parenting. How do parents train our kids? And today is really the third part of that. And we're going to do as we've done every week in that by starting with some key verses. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. You can read up on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word. The Bible says the child, Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is when he was eight days old. He was presented in the temple. And so from the time that he was a few days old until he was 12, that's what Jesus was doing. And then at age 12, in verse 52... And this is going to kind of be our focus for this weekend. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, I want to say a couple of things before we dig into some of the principles there out of Jesus growing up, how he was growing up as a model for us about how we as children or how we as parents are to raise our children. I want to say a couple of things about Jesus. We don't have a lot of detailed information about Jesus' childhood. There are, you may hear through the years, you'll hear maybe on Discovery Channel or, you know, some kind of random program about there's some fanciful, listen, not credible, not even close to biblically reliable stories that are more like kind of kind of like um, mythology kind of kind of stories, just fanciful, made-up stories that are supposedly about his childhood, but are clearly not reliable. What we do have in God's Word, we have his birth. We have him at eight days of age. We have him at age 12. And then most of what we have about Jesus is from the time that he was 30 until the time that he died about three years later. So we don't have a lot of information, specifics about Jesus' childhood. We also need to acknowledge that Jesus, here's a, here's a spot for an amen, you ready? Jesus is unique, amen? He's different. Some have called it the paradox of the incarnation. Now the incarnation, that's just a big theological word that means that God came in the flesh, amen? Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. And his childhood shows indications of both. Jesus, as God, was born of a virgin. 
But he was really born. I remember one of my professors in seminary saying, can you imagine God coming through the birth canal? Isn't that incredible? God was born. He really was born as a human being, just like us. He was about his heavenly father's business, but he was submissive like us to his earthly parents. He never sinned, unlike us. There's another amen. But he grew up as a normal little boy. So we could say, far and away, uh, yes, infinity, Jesus is not like us. He is God. But in other ways, it was fully God's intention that the life of Christ, in many ways, be just like us. So what we can learn about God's will for children and parenting from these verses is, first of all, God wants children to grow up in a healthy pattern of development. Write that down. Jesus grew in every way as he was growing up. He was a baby. He was a boy. He was a young man. And then he became a man. And it is God's will for children to grow in that way, too. To grow, first of all, mentally. The Bible says he grew in wisdom. God wants children to grow in their mind, in their learning, in their observing, in their applying what they're learning to their lives. More and more, as we're growing up, we're learning how to live. Amen? And it's tough for us adults to say amen because we're still learning how to live. Unfortunately... Not everybody's done this parenting thing well. That's being nice. None of us have really done it, right? Amen. But we're learning, we're growing. So all of us, were, but this is God's intention, that we were to be raised and trained how to, how to learn God's truth, apply it to our lives, and live the way God intended for us to live. He grew in wisdom. He wants us to grow physically. Jesus grew in stature. This is talking about growing in physical Development. Now, it's not to say there's no sickness. It's not to say there's no health challenges. That is, unfortunately, part of our experiences on this earth. And for some of us, God's plan for us, and we have to trust Him for that. But what we're saying is that, in general, it is the Lord's desire for us to raise our kids in a way that is good for them, that is healthy for them. Kids, I don't mean to throw you under the bus. Pastor Robbie likes ice cream too. But you do need to eat your broccoli. Sometimes. We need to exercise. We need to have healthy sleep habits. We need to learn how to accept and embrace sexuality while controlling it and not letting its sin get involved with it as we're growing up. I love the way these next two are stated. Jesus was growing in grace with God and with his fellow man, with other people. Jesus grew, write this down, spiritually. He grew in favor. I like this, this translation. He grew in grace with God. Listen to this. Jesus grew in understanding and embracing and fulfilling the role that God the Father had for his life. Listen to this, parents. This is something that many of us... Remember I said the goal of parenting, the purpose of parenting, many of us think that first part is to raise kids, is to train kids to become mature, responsible adults. We think if that happens, home run. That's what we were supposed to do. That is not true. 
The goal is not to end there. The goal is for us to introduce our, our kids to Jesus Christ and to help them find and fulfill the purpose that God has for them. And what I want to share with you is that God wants your kids to be growing in grace, to be growing in favor, to be growing in relationship with God. Maybe we need to stop and, and let God speak to us about that. Amen. How are my kids growing in grace? How are my kids growing and experiencing the favor and the blessing? Do you hear that specialness? Not just do they learn about God, not just do they know some Bible verses, but are they encountering God in some special way? Is he working in some special way in my children's lives? I expect that. I pray for that. I work towards that. That's not abnormal. We're not super duper Christians. That is normal and natural for God followers to expect and to trust God for. Can I get some help? Amen. Amen. That was a little soft. So I need a little stronger next time. Amen. All right. He grew emotionally and socially. He grew in favor with other people. He was learning to be around and to relate to other people. Apparently, this is an understatement. Jesus was doing well with that. Jesus was really good with other people. But the question is, are your children, are our children growing in that as well? A great summary. Listen, I want you to listen. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of the nuance of these are not just principles. There's some, there's some dynamic to this. A real key in raising your kids, listen, is believing that God has his hand upon them. Do you believe that? And to expect and to encourage them to have an expectation that God has a special purpose for their lives that you believe, that you're looking for, that they should be looking for, and for you and for them to be expecting that God is going to give them some divinely appointed people in their life that are no accident, that God intended for them to cross paths for His purpose in their lives. Let me just put it straight. As God followers, I think we think way too normally. I see some head nodding. Can I get an amen? Sure, listen, listen. We have to live an ordinary life. Much of life is get up, take a shower, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, get the homework done, you know, get, get supper done, get to bed, get up, press repeat. Much of life is, in a sense, ordinary daily life. And there's something godly even about that. And without getting crazy over my kid is over special. Okay, I'm not trying to, you know, okay, your kid is over special. I'm not trying to say that. But we're kind of getting like weird about it or like arrogant about it. Amen? See how the enemy messes us up? But what I am saying is we ought to believe that God has his hand on our kids for a special purpose. And that God is going to bring strategic people from church from school, in their workplaces? Have you seen it, parents? Have you seen God sovereignly? That means that God is control of everything. That when you're, you're not even doing anything, that God is giving your kid bosses, that God is giving your kids uh, coaches, professors, 
that are contributing, that are speaking, that are dynamically impacting your child's life, youth group experiences, trips that they go on. God is using all of that to develop your child in the person he wants them to be. Amen. And then one more principle before we move on from this verses. God can relate to the challenges of childhood. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, with our struggles, but one who has been tempted or tested in all things as we are, yet without sin. Did you know that the word that is used for Jesus grew? Some of your translations say he increased. Some of your translations say he advanced. That word is actually a very effort-filled word. That word means to cut or to chop like trees or underbrush. So it means effort. It means there's some work going on. I wonder if it's meant to point to the fact that just in case you think that since Jesus is God, oh, his childhood was easy. It wasn't nothing like mine. The Jesus growing up years were no easier than yours. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus' parents were involved in a scandal from his conception. Joseph and Mary having a baby. How about that? And they like to say that it's God's fault. <laughs> his whole childhood, everybody pointed a finger and whispered at his family. Jesus, did you know, grew up in a blended family? Jesus had stepbrothers and stepsisters. Did you know that Jesus grew up in a rough neighborhood? Nazareth, Nazareth was known as a rough place to be from. He very likely lost his early dad early in life. Joseph is clearly absent from the Gospels after Jesus' birth and after those first few years of his life. And tradition says that he died when Jesus was 16. We don't know exactly, but apparently we get the indication that he may have lost his dad, his earthly dad, early in his life. Maybe some of you have been through the loss of a parent or the loss of your family. Jesus had to submit to his parents like the rest of us kids. Now listen, most of us kids think we know better than our parents. Only to later say, you know, mom and dad, they, they know quite a bit. But that wasn't true with Jesus. He actually did know better than his parents. <laughs> but he still had to submit and follow their lead. Wouldn't that have been hard? In other words, everybody's had a rough deal in some way. The reason I say that is not to minimize, not to make light, not to, not to trivialize it, but just to say, hey, the enemy always wants to tell me mine's the worst. Amen? The enemy always wants to tell me I'm the exception. We don't come from this kind of stock. We're not God kind of people. God doesn't use people like us. People don't come from where I come from and be used by God. That is all garbage from the enemy. Jesus dealt with many of those same things. And praise the Lord, he understands that we can trust God to redeem and use our mess and turn it into a message. Amen. And it motivates me to work so that future kids don't have to face at least as few as they have to. Amen. 
of those struggles that we face. So now with some of those understandings coming out of those scriptures, some of those principles, let's look at some specific applications that, are, that come from these scriptures. What do we teach our kids about following the Lord, about honoring the Lord, about loving the Lord in their life? We teach them, first of all, about facing reality. The Bible says that ki- kids need to grow in wisdom. Kids need to grow in understanding what is true. What is real? Not kidding ourselves. This is the situation and this is how to deal with it. We need to teach our kids about reality and about how to deal with that reality as they're growing up. As we read God's word, we get the clear understanding. You've heard me talk about this before. There's a clear, there's a clear emphasis in God's word about grace and love and mercy and kindness and truth. Okay? Mercy and truth, kindness and truth, love and truth, grace and truth. John 1 says Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100% grace. He was 100% truth. And so that emphasis is on relationship, but also reality. And all of us tend to go one way or another, don't we? Some are really on the relational side And sometimes we can ignore reality. Some are really on the reality side and we can really kind of be hard on the relationship, right? So when we show that John Chris video earlier, there's some of you in the room who are like, amen, amen, preach it. There are too many parents today who are way too soft on the kids and we need to lay down the law. Well, to those people, I say, okay, I get some of what you're saying, but maybe you need to think about Having a little bit of love, amen? To be more direct, why do you get so excited about laying down the law? I mean, yeah, yeah, there's law and we need to know it and we need to live it. But why are you so excited about it? Have a little love, amen? But on the other hand, to those parents who might focus a little bit more on the grace side, on the kindness part, they might have to be challenged in a different direction. Yes, be tender, Be kind, be patient with your kids. But somewhere along the way, we need to teach our kids to realize, listen, there are some harsh realities to life. And there are some things that no matter how much I love them, I cannot always protect them from for the rest of their life. In fact, I need to lovingly, but honestly, and even sometimes with love, but firmly prepare them for that. Listen to the reality that the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. The Bible says that those verses give us an understanding that because we as human beings decided from the beginning not to trust God, not to follow His will, sin entered in and death has entered into our existence. There is a reality that wrong happens, that sin happens. And and as a result of that, death and hurt and destruction happens. It even happens in our hearts. Now listen, even the most godly, well-intentioned, God-following person is going to face that reality. 
the reality of the Bible talks about the reality of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This world, not people, not the people of the world. Our battle is not with people. There is a world system. There is a sinful world that we live in. Thank God he's going to change that one day. Amen. He's going he's to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Praise the Lord. I want a new place. Amen. This place is a mess. And then there's the flesh, my sin nature. As human beings, we, if, if God doesn't work in us in a powerful way, we are prone. We have a proclivity towards doing the wrong thing. Don't we hate it? Don't we fight that? Why do I always choose wrong? We need God's help. And then we have an enemy, the devil. Those are very real realities. Unfortunately, we have to teach our kids that this world is dangerous. And if you are not paying attention, you will get hurt. We have to teach our kids to face reality. So how do we do that? We give them discipline and correction. Now listen, many times people focus on punishment for wrongdoing. But it seems to me as you look at God... As you look at his heart, God's heart is not so much on punishing as it is on getting us to the right place. Do you hear me? Discipline is for not punishing us for being in the wrong place as much as it is. Now, one day God is going to judge sin. One day there is going to be ultimately punishment and judgment for sin. But God's purpose, primarily his heart, is, listen, I like the word discipline and correction. Discipline, if you look at that word, it has a root of disciple in it, doesn't it? Correction has a root of correct in it, doesn't it? Our focus is not on the negative. You did wrong and so the law is coming down and here are the consequences. No, the, 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 the point is God has so much good for you. He wants to work in your life, but you've wandered from that. We want to help you get back. We want to help you to realize that and help bring you back to a right place. It's a positive emphasis, even though at the moment it might be negative. The Bible talks about that, doesn't it? God's discipline is because he loves us and he wants to bring us to a right relationship. But we do need to discipline. We teach about consequences. We do need to teach our kids about facing the reality of the choices that we make. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And by the way, You're teaching that in a safe environment. One day they won't be in the confines of that safe environment. By the way, you're not doing anybody any favors to tell your child a hundred times, I really mean it, you better stop. I really mean it, you better stop. You're teaching them that the consequences never come. And that is not true. That is not real. If they do it once on their job, there may not be, I really mean it. They told you in the orientation not to do it. And if you do it, that could be the one and only and you're out of a job. And they're going to face that harsh reality without the safe confines of your home. Some people ask, is spanking appropriate? Under normal circumstances, there does seem to be a place for it after, James Dobson says, a focus on the family, he says after about 18 months or two years, because before that, the kids don't really understand what's going on in that kind of a way. It should not be for accidents. If they spill their milk, they shouldn't get a spanking. It should not be in anger. It should not be until other correction has been given. 
And if it's utilized in the right way, there should really not be much need for it, especially as the child grows. You should model appropriate responses to challenges in life. Not over-responding to no big deals, but not under-responding to big deals. Have you ever seen somebody's kid slamming another kid's head on the pavement? And they're saying, now, Johnny, let's don't do that. Johnny, let's don't do that. It's a little bit beyond Johnny, let's don't do that. Amen? It's a stop right now. It's an act and make sure Johnny's not doing that. So there needs to be appropriate responses. They, They need to see some things are very important and cannot happen. Or you might die. I, if you run out in front of a car, there'll be no more. Now, I really mean it. Next time, let's don't do that. No, you may not be here anymore, Johnny. And so he needs to understand that or he could get hurt. We should be modeling real life situations for them. Remember, we said we're trainers, right? So we should be modeling as we're going through, especially early in life. Here's what should be happening. The, the model, maybe some of you have heard this at work or in some training that you've received. This is a great discipleship model. The model should be, I do, and you watch. Okay, so for a while, there's I do and you watch. That's the early part of their life. I, hopefully now parents, adults, this is us saying, God, am I doing? Help me, amen. Help me to be growing, so I am doing, amen. But even then, I might be asking for forgiveness I might be confessing that I've done wrong. So I'm still doing and they're watching, right? So, so we start with, I do, you watch. There's a lot of that. Then we do together. So, so I'm doing and you're doing with me. Then it advances to you do and I watch. There's the safety, right? You, you can step out. You can experiment and do some things. And I'm going to help coach you. I'm going to be right here with you. But then eventually we're moving them towards, hey... I've shown you how to do it. I've walked with you through it. Now you go do. And thankfully as parents, we never just let them go for forever. In fact, that leads us to the last one. We have coaching conversations. As they're branching out into different areas of life, we, we, we coach them early on. We're watching for the need to coach them and we're offering that. We're giving that pretty freely. Later, we're just being more available. As our kids get older... It's a joy to be your child's coach as they're getting older. It's a joy for your child to come back to you when they don't have to anymore. And to say, hey, dad, hey, mom, I ran into this situation. What would you do? What do you think about it? Would you pray for me about it? Would, you know, I'm going to be facing this tomorrow at work or at my internship or with my professor, or with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend or with my fiance or whatever the situation might be. The coaching them, helping them working with them. We are trainers, amen? And we fight that so much and we don't realize it. That's a joy. I get to be my kids' life coaches. That is awesome, amen? Some of you don't sound like it's awesome. (laughs) It's not always awesome feeling, but it is an awesome privilege and responsibility. So we teach our kids about facing reality, but related to that, we do teach them about taking responsibility. We teach about the realities, the harsh realities of life, and we teach about taking responsibility. Luke 2.52 talks about growing in favor in my relationships with other people. And a big part of growing up, of growing in maturity, 
and rightly relating to other people is learning how to take responsibility. In the different relationships I have, I have to learn how to do that. So let me give you several important questions to explore with your kids. Write these down. What are the different roles that I have in my life? Help your kids be thinking through that. What are the different areas that they're in in their life? Who are the different people in those situations? Now, as you're writing those things down, it's not like I've ever sat down with my kids, or I don't think anybody ever sits down with their kids and they got this outline. And they say, no, what are the different roles in your life? Let's discuss that tonight. Who are the different people in those situations? Okay? It's not like we just like have this book and we like sit down at the table and we like go through our assignment for we're raising kids who love the Lord. So here's the lesson for tonight. No, I don't want you to think of it that way, but I'm giving you some things to absorb, maybe to go back to, and for you to have some things to hang your head on. What responsibilities? This is what you should be having your kids thinking about. What responsibilities do I have towards those people? So I've got some different roles. I've got some different people. What are the responsibilities that I have towards those people? Am I fulfilling, not perfectly, because nobody's perfect, but to the best of my ability, with my best effort, am I fulfilling the role that I have in those situations with those people? And then the last question is, are there any wrong actions I have taken that I need to own up to or make right? Are there any wrong actions I've taken that I need to make right? So listen, if I cause a problem, I work to clean it up. I know you're writing down, but listen. If I cause a problem, I'm responsible to seek to make it right. I may need the assistance of others. Okay, I can't do everything by myself, but I want to teach my child. My first thought is, this is mine to run with. If I cause the problem, this is mine to run with. If it's going to happen, I'm God's servant to deal with it because I'm the one that caused it. My first thought is, mom and dad will take care of it. That's not my first thought. My first thought, mom and dad might help. Mom and dad might assist. They might coach me through it. But my first thought is, if I cause something, then what do I need to do to make that right? So the, three, the four questions, what are the different roles I have in my life? Who are the different people in those situations? What responsibilities do I have towards those people? And are there any wrong actions I have taken that I need to make right? Now, let's talk about what are some of those key areas of life that God has given to us that we need to coach, that we need to train our kids about taking responsibility. The first one is family. I'm in a family. That's the first place, right? I'm in a group. This is my tribe. These are my people. Am I being helpful to these people? Am I being faithful to these people? Am I being supportive to these, my people? Listen, the most important people in my life. We've often said to our kids, you know, many times in home, you can kind of let your guard down, right? You kind of, you kind of, you know, you kind of up for it when you're running everybody. And I don't mean to say you're faking, but it just comes natural. We want to kind of be up for it with everybody else, but we let our, let our guard down at home. And sometimes we can be a little bit not as nice at home as we are somewhere else, right? 
And we've said many times we should be as nice or nicer in here. These are our people. We should be as good or better with these than we are anywhere else. Certainly not less. We, we teach about God's family, the church. We have a responsibility. We're part. If you're a child of God, you're part of the family of God. We have responsibilities. There are many things we could say about that. We talk about at New Hope. We have a partnership. Many churches call it membership. We really call it partnership because membership sounds like you like sign up. You get a key to the building. You get privileges. You get to, you know, you pay your dues kind of thing. We don't do that. Partnership is we're in something together and we're working together to make this happen. It depends on us, right? That's what happens in a family, in God's family. We say it like this at New Hope. We're responsible to worship, to grow, and to serve. Those are our basic responsibilities. And really our big overarching responsibilities. We got Pastor Chris shared it so wonderfully with such heart just a moment ago. We have the wonderful privilege but responsibility of sharing the greatest message ever given to mankind. We're responsible. Are you teaching your kids more than taking out the garbage? That is responsible. We should also be teaching them taking out the good news. We're responsible for that. We have responsibility. We're responsible for our school. When you go to school, we need to be responsible. We need to be on time. We need to do our work. We need to see it as purposeful. Listen, young people, you need to see this exact material that I'm studying is going to help me later in life. Or many times, I'll be honest with you, I get it. Okay? I was a liberal arts major, so I get it. Some things, I don't know why I got to think about this. It's just a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. I ain't ever going to use this again. I might can answer some questions on Jeopardy, but it ain't helping me in my real life. Okay? I get it. It is not always the exact material, but don't look over the exact material. If I got to take math, then let's get the most out of it. Let's get this thing done. But sometimes it's not the exact material. Listen, young person, college student, sometimes it's the process that you are in. Again, remember, remember discipline and submission and trust. There are so many lessons that God is teaching you in this period of your life about trusting and a process and about growth and about time and about consistency and about making the right decision day by day. Not perfectly, but having that general attitude. You're becoming a responsible person. We teach them about work, about doing a good job, about listening to their boss, about, listen, you do a good works, a good day's work for a good day's pay. That's a fair exchange. Somebody needs a service done, you do it for them, they're going to pay you a fair wage, and that's a good exchange. You're responsible, a good work ethic. That we try to teach our kids, show up on time, do what they tell you to do, and don't complain about it. I'm not kidding you. If you're not very impressive, if you're not very talented, if you, I promise, young person, Oh, I love to see young people get this. Because it happens. They go to a job. If you show up on time, if you do what they ask you to do and you don't complain about it, you will become an all-star. Partly because you're dependable. I mean, people can be wonderful, but they never show up. They don't help much. So at least you're there. 
Listen, listen. But if you do what I just said, you will be better than 90% of the people immediately. And then because you come every day, you're going to actually get good. You'll get better than the people who might have been very talented, but they don't know how to do it because they're never there. I promise you, it is so awesome to see a young person get that. Bosses are looking for people that they can just depend on. We teach about money. What bills do I have? Do I pay them on time? We teach about the dangers of debt. How if you, if you buy something, how you make good on that. You finish paying for it. We teach about how to use money. We tithe. We give the Lord the first. Shannon and I, from the beginning of our marriage, we just, we don't even think about it. We don't add that up. We don't think about, oh, what we could do with that money. We automatically, from the beginning, starting from the very first check we ever got, 10% goes to the Lord. That's just automatic. We, we, it's the first fruits. God gave to us. We wouldn't have any of it if He hadn't given it to us. So we give Him the first, and then He gives us way more than we could have ever imagined. I cannot tell you the stories about how God has provided I can't, you would not even believe it. God is faithful, amen? amen. We teach them about tithing. We teach them about taxes. Oh, that's a great lesson. Are you serious? Are you serious? I made $100, I only get 80 That's highway robbery. Amen, sister. Amen. Amen. You want to run for Congress? I'll vote for you. I love to see that light bulb go on. Taxes? Yeah, you enjoy the roads, right? You enjoy the stoplights that people stop at. You enjoy the parks and all that. You know, I'm not going to speak up for it. But we teach them about saving. We teach them about saving. We teach them about spending. We teach them about giving generously beyond our tithe. We don't have to stop with the tithe. We can give free will offerings above that as God blesses and as God leads our heart to be generous with other people. We need to teach our kids that. Proactively, we teach about our community and our world. We have a responsibility to volunteer, maybe to, to run for office or to join the military or to advocate for others who don't have as much as us. Christians are contributors to making this world a better place for other people. So overall, this message of taking responsibility means that I'm supposed to do my part in these different areas. I go to school, I have a job, I have a church family, I have a family, I live in a community, I live in a world. The problem with responsibility, though, is that more and more the world tells us we don't have to take it. Everyone now has a good excuse. And by the way, as sinners, we didn't want to anyway. So we have a world now telling us, you don't have to take responsibility. And as sinners, I think I don't want to take responsibility. So at first, your kids will mostly have to trust you, which is a struggle. Amen? You guys just have to trust me. This is the right thing to do. But you still should work to explain why. Many parents bow up. Listen, I know if a kid, why, 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 why? You know, eventually, listen, I mean, I'll, I'll be glad to sit down and have a discussion later. But right now, I just need you to do this. I need you to trust me. So I understand when sometimes why I can get out of control, out of control but sometimes parents a little bit, a little bit, um, um, what am I trying to say? Um, you're, you're showing a weakness by being afraid to answer questions. When they ask why, it may be a challenging why, but why don't you treat it more as a teaching why? I'm a trainer. 
I'm telling them to do something. They're just wondering, what's the purpose behind what I'm doing? That's not a bad question to ask. They shouldn't just say, whatever somebody tells me to do, I'm going to do it mindlessly. They should be learning to think through things and to have some critical thinking without challenging you. So we should not be insecure and lazy. We should try to explain why to the best of our ability. But initially they have to trust us, but later they will thank you. When they have a better job, when they have a better life, when they have good relationships, when they have a freer conscience, they will thank you. Thanks, Mom and Dad. It really was kind of irritating when you made me do all that stuff, but now I see why. It's good to teach our kids responsibility. Amen? Now listen, the last thing I want to tell you about is we need to teach them about making your contribution. Now, I've said a couple times during this series that many times as parents, we kind of see ourselves as constantly putting out fires and keeping the peace. And hey, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we have to focus on survival, amen? I mean, we just got to get through this day. But even though that's true, we just got to get through the day sometimes. Somewhere along the way, in the long run, we have to see it as more than that. We have to see ourselves as trainers, not just how to deal with life, but how to positively make a contribution to it. So how do we do that? How do we teach our kids to think about? You are here for a reason. By the way, when they're young, just tell them that. Honey, I'm praying for you. God is working in your life. I love you. I'm proud of you. That's something I want to tell my kids many times when when I'm putting them to bed. I pray for them. I say, buddy, I'm just so proud of you. I'm so glad God gave you to be my... Say those kind of encouraging things to them, but then add to that later. God has a purpose for you. Man, you're gifted at that. You're good at that. What, what kind of things are those? Well, it involves exploring school subjects. What are the things they like? What are the, what are the things they enjoy studying? And even sometimes, what are the things they don't seem to enjoy? Now, if they absolutely hate it, okay. But sometimes they don't think they would enjoy something. But maybe you should encourage them to step outside their comfort zone and try something they don't think they would like. Maybe God will surprise them. Also, as I've said in a previous message, listen to me very carefully. Parents, don't lock them in. If your child is focused on English in middle school and hates math, okay. But I hear parents say, oh, Susie, she doesn't do math. She hates math. Well, I realize Susie might have decided for now and forever, I will never like math. But on the other hand, she might totally forget that in middle school I hated math. And by the time she gets to high school, she might love it because she got a good teacher who really kind of got her excited about it. And then she got to college and she became a math major. I think as parents, we run, listen, we got to realize they're developing We've kind of, many times we're a little bit more settled in our thinking. We're a little more final in our thinking. Let's don't be so final with our kids. There might be something they think they hate. And you go and say, oh yeah, they hate that. And then all of a sudden you say, they like that. So let's don't lock them in. We encourage extracurricular activities, sports, band, music lessons, dance, drama. Now, 
This is not saying that your kids have to do all those things. It's not saying your kids have to do any of those things. That's a little bit of the American lie. But we should give those things some consideration with our kids. Now, here's the kicker. This is very important. Yes, your kids be involved in dance and band and drama. As long as that thing itself does not draw them away from God. We want our kids to be involved in sports and, and, and extracurricular activities and learn and, and learn discipline, how to work with other people so they can grow in their relationship with God and with other people. But if that thing takes them away from God, what good was that? This is a very important question. What are we going for? Is the goal in life a well-rounded child? That I can say at the end of my childhood, I did X, I did Y, I did Z. Oh, great. You're a bona fide American child. I mean, really, when you think about it, it seems kind of silly, doesn't it? The point in life is not to be a well-rounded child, a well-rounded American child. The point in life is to find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. We help them explore talents and interests. Helping your kids observe, observe. What do they care about? What do they enjoy in a God-honoring way? What do they like? What are they drawn to? People, especially college students. Many times college students will say to me, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. But they just got through telling me about three to six things that they enjoy and they're pursuing. And I just identify that for them. I want to say, okay, okay, I understand you're not sure what you're going to do with your life. But can I just tell you, there's a million things you could say and you just now said five or six. And that other person I talked to a few minutes ago, they didn't say those five or six. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be those five or six, but I'm just saying you're a little bit confused right now. You're not sure, but at least take those five and six and explore that a little bit. Because I'm just giving you some feedback. Not everybody's talking about those five or six things. So it's really not true that you're totally not sure what you're going to do in your life. You're just saying, I'm not exactly sure what I need to do. Amen? Isn't that helpful? We get them involved in church and ministry. I, I used to be a youth and kids pastor. And I'm telling you, parents, if you are not already actively involved in this church or another church, and if you are not taking advantage of kids' church, Awana, and youth group, your kids are missing some of the best memories of their lives. And by the way, you're wasting an opportunity for partners who will help you and support you and give your kids a solid foundation. I cannot emphasize it enough. You have a gift, and I'm not saying that to brag on us. We work hard to make sure there are awesome kids and youth ministries so your children can find the Lord Jesus, that can have a relationship with Him and begin to lay a foundation and have a springboard to jump off of because life is hard. And now's the little incubator we have, amen? To work together to help them. You are missing it. You need to make sure that your kids are involved with you. There are future doors of opportunities that God will open up through the relationships and experiences that are happening right here. We'll talk about that more next time. We help them with job experiences. In our family, honestly, we've tried to be careful not to rush the kids into work. Listen, they're going to work the rest of their lives. Okay, so we've tried to say, you know, maybe this year they could have started a job, but 
One more year is not going to kill them in terms of savings or whatever. They're going to work for the rest of their lives. And it's true. So we've tried to be careful not to rush that. But there, is, there does come a time when those things happen. And it gives them a better idea of what they want to do. Or maybe more importantly, I for sure don't want to do that the rest of my life. <laughs> Amen? And honestly, it actually begins to reinforce some of these things. Remember I said you're coaching them in a controlled environment somewhat. So when they come back from job experiences and they have struggled with boss or fellow employees, you're helping them work through that before they're completely out on their own dealing with those kind of situations every day of their life. And all those things put together begins to help your child say, this is how God is working in my life. And this is what I believe He wants me to do in this world for Him. Isn't that awesome? You know, as I study God's Word and as I work with people and as I've been up here for many years, here's what seems to me to be a good summary. A strong discipline for those who struggle with that part, with a big heart, for those who struggle with that part, is really what God's design is for parents. A strong discipline with a good heart, with a a big heart, makes a good parent. Amen? Now, we've already said there's no guarantees. Your kids ultimately will have to make their own choices. But the Bible seems to indicate if I fulfill that role, I will give my kids a huge advantage and foundation if they make the right choice. And I've given them lots of opportunities to make that right choice that God can use their life in a great way. I want to ask us to bow our heads for just a moment together. For those of us who are parents here right now, this is an awesome responsibility, isn't it? Who, as Paul said in a different context, is adequate for these things? I can't do it. There's no way. Would you, would you cry out to God? Would you say, God, this is the most impossible assignment that you've ever given me. I can't do it. It is humanly, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally impossible. but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Would you cry out to the Lord right now and say, Dear God, I don't feel adequate, but apparently I'm the right person because you gave these kids to me. So show me the way, Lord. Show me how to encourage my little buddy. Show me how to just breathe life into the sails of this precious little girl that you've given me. God, this teenager is changing and developing and I don't even know them hardly anymore. God, would you help me to connect with them? Would you help me to see their needs, see the direction, trajectory of their life and and be be your guide in their life, a shepherd, an under-shepherd of yours to, to guide them? God, would you help me to know how to communicate in a way that makes sense to them? as many parents in this room are praying those prayers. Maybe you're a young person here right now and you say, you know what, my parents really, I have a hard time with them. But I see that they have a very big job. 
And I ask God to help me to be the best kid I can for them. I want them to have joy. That's what we read in Hebrews. Let your leaders have joy. I want to the best of my ability for my parents to feel good about what's happening in my life because they've worked so hard. Would you do that right now? Maybe not even for your parents, but for the Lord because you love Him and you want to honor Him. Maybe all of us, there's principles that we're learning in these scriptures that God is speaking to us about. Amen? There, There are things about what God wants to do in kids' lives. It really means what He wants to do in His kids' lives. Is God speaking to your heart about facing some realities that you've been kidding yourself about? About taking some responsibility that you've been sort of shirking or avoiding? About discovering the greater purpose that your life has on this earth? What are the things that God has given to me? What are the talents? What are the things I enjoy? How has God wired me differently than others? What interests me? What do I notice that other people don't? And how can I use that for God? And as some are praying about that, there are some in this room who don't even have a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you right now just to call out to Him and ask Him to be your Heavenly Father. You can say, Dear God, thank You for loving me so much. Thank You, Jesus, for dying on the cross to pay for my sins and for rising again and offering me eternal life. I accept that gift and I invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior. God, we thank you. We trust and pray and hope that someone has started an eternal relationship with you just now. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.